Okay, Boker Tov, we continue in Moed Katan Yud Beis Amit Beis. More halachas regarding what you can or not do on Cholamoid. And if you're an important person, the extra stringencies that are applied to you. So was said in the name of Rav. A person can cut down a palm tree on Cholamoid. Now, why is he going to need this palm tree? Now, obviously, we have to be speaking about a palm tree that's too old to produce dates. Because if it's producing dates, you cannot cut down a fruit tree at all, ever. So that's not the issue. Um, and the question is, what is it that you need for it? FLP, Even though all you need is the sawdust. You need some sawdust, so you can't get any sawdust until you first cut down a tree. Okay, now, uh, the, of course, the sawdust you need can't happen unless you cut down the tree. For whatever reason, he needs a lot of sawdust. Now, the next point Miri brings down, he's exerting himself excessively on Cholomoy. That's a negative, and it's only a small benefit. Okay. So that's what the Miri says. He can still do it. The Tosa Rush points out that although this individual derives benefit from the fact that the tree's wood is now available to him, he's not considered to be employing a subterfuge in cutting it down since he truly is doing it for the sawdust. Okay? So he needs to have the sawdust for every reason. I don't know what a person... What do you need it for? I don't know. There don't must know. be. Must be a need for it. Oh, okay. Maybe to maybe to cover the blood of a chicken that he shechted. Kisui hadam, maybe. Well, whatever. Anyway, but he seems to have a need. So that is what Rab Chananel Marav. He did that. He actually cut down the palm tree. He needed the sawdust, and that's all he needed. So how did Abaye react to that? Okay, but hearing the ruling, rather, Layit Allah Abaye. Abaye cursed anyone who would follow it. Didn't think it's a good idea. Okay, so what's going on? How could uh, uh, Rav Chana Noel, synonym of Rav, you can do it, and yet Abaye cursed him? Well, related incident. Ravashi Havale Abba Bishlanya. Ravasha owned a forest in a place called Shilanya. He went to cut down some of its trees, again, to get some sawdust. Amale Ravshila Meshalnyai Ravashi. So Ravshila from Shalnyai said to Ravashi, my daitra, what is your reasoning? Obviously, because you heard the earlier opinion of Rav Noel in the name of Rav, right? To come a Rav Noel, I'm a Rav, because you heard just a few moments ago, Pris can cut down the palm tree on Cholomite, even though he needs the sawdust. So you're basing it on Rav's ruling. Yeah, but didn't you remember the next part of the story? 
Halayit Allah Abaye, but then Abaye curse anyone who follows that reasoning. So why would you do that? So he answered, Lo Shamili, I did not hear Abaye's ruling. What does that actually mean? More now explains, Kolomar Lo Svirali, I don't agree with it. Well, story did not end. Ishtamit Narga, so as Ravashi continued to chopping, the axe slipped. Boy, it almost severed his thigh. It, in one second, in punishment for going against Abaye's ruling. Shavke Vahadar Asa. So Ravashi understood that that was to fulfill the curse. He left the forest and returned on his way to go home. Yes. Not to be picky, but if you use an axe to cut down a palm tree, you're not going to get any sawdust. You have wood chips. First, you have to chop it down, and then you make it into sawdust. Jefferson, yeah, that's, that's but how do you get sawdust from a tree? Today, they put it to a big machine. Otherwise, it's like but a first, they don't put it up. One minute. First, they cut the tree down. Then they put it in the big machine. You, so they had something else. But you, but. You, but you, you first have to cut the tree down. Then, from cutting the tree down, then you make make the sawdust. You're not going to make sawdust. Right. Yeah, because that's how they do it. But how much salt is going to get? When they chopped down on trees, there's no sawdust. Yeah, they chopped down on trees. Right. No sawdust. And then... You make sawdust, you make it afterwards. And they, however they made it, before they had mulching machines. Anyway, so that's the two steps, so that he stopped doing that. Okay, next story. Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda permitted someone to uproot the flax, Ulamiktal Keshusa, and to cut hops, Ulamiyaka Shumshre, and uproot Shumshum plants on Cholomoy. Now, Shumshum is modernly translated sesame, but this Shumshum is not sesame, but some unidentified plant. And its seeds are pressed for their oil or are fried with honey. Okay, fine. Anyway, he did these three activities. An cholamoid. kitna. I understand that Rabbi Yehuda allowed some to uproot flax. Why? Since it's fit for covering food needed for the festival, such as figs or dates. While figs and dates are drying, they must be covered at night to protect them from being moistened by the dew. Since the fruits are needed for the festival, you want to eat figs and dates, but you want them not to get spoiled. So you can uproot the flax to cover them. Of course, you only uproot as much as you need for that purpose. Okay? So that was the first thing. He said, that, that I understand you can do that. And sit over here... Uh, and the hops 
you can make beer, okay? And these items can be used as soon as they're harvested. Okay, the hops put a bitter flavor into the beer and you need beer for the festival. So you can cut hops to brew it. Fine. Maybe the ba- dates were only ripe then. Fresh, fresh right then. I don't know Maybe they were just fresh. You want to freshly pick them. I don't know. But you could, oh, you don't even pick them. And, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Maybe you weren't able to do that earlier. I don't know. And, and and again, it's not like you necessarily purposely left it. Remember, sometimes you just don't think about it. It'd be great if everybody's organized. But a lot of people, oh, I think we're going to serve on the menu dates for, for dinner, to, uh, to, for Yontif. Yeah, but why didn't you tell me that before? You know, I didn't think about it. So, okay. Ella, but the third case, shum shumi but what immediate use is there for the shum shum plants? Why? Because their seeds can't be eaten until they've dried. They have no use until sometime after they're harvested. So it seems there's no festival use. It won't dry till after Yontif. Morris says, I'll tell you what it's for. They're good because they're, they can be used uh, for their withered seeds they contain. Although the bulk of the shumshum seeds cannot be used right away, the smaller, more delicate ones become dry and withered while the plants are still attached to the ground and they're for immediate use. So it is part of the plant that's for immediate use. Okay. Rabyanai. Rabyanai Havaleahu Pardesa. Rabyanai owned a certain orchard. Demota Zimnebacholamoy, whose time for picking came on Cholamoy. Remember, you have to do it when it's ready. It's not something you can delay. The time for picking is on Cholamoy. Katfe, knowing that he'd lose financially, he didn't harvest them right away. He picked the fruits of the orchard, and those who witnessed this assumed it's generally permissible to harvest fruits on Cholamoy. Okay, now it's not generally permissible. It's only to avoid an impending loss, which was his situation. So people thought that. Lashana, in the next year, guess what? So everybody postponed going to the archers until Cholamoy. They didn't know the reason why he did what he did. So although Rav Yanai, what he did was permissible for him, but others learned the wrong thing from that. And that's what we started yesterday by saying the rules of Cholamoy are just as tricky as the laws of um, the, uh, what do you call it? The Kusim. You can't assume that just because this was allowed, something that's almost exactly the same is also allowed as well. Kind of exceptions. So anyway, so Rabbi Yanai, uh, you know, felt very bad that uh, a bad thing came out of what he did. So what did he do? Afkare Rabbi Yanai So to do tshuva, he abandoned his orchard to the poor. For that year, he took no benefit. He penalized himself. Now, of course, he wasn't legally obliged to do that, 
but he again was living on a higher standard. Okay, you wouldn't have to do that. Now, uh, Michtam writes that in some readings, the words that year are omitted. According to this version, Rav Yanai renounced benefit from his orchard forever out of remorse for his role in causing people to sin. So anyway, he was allowed to do what he did. But when he saw that people uh, misunderstood his actions and then did Averos, he had to do some kind of, again, he was holding himself to a higher standard, not that any one of us would have to do that. that okay. Be it would, because one, because... Yeah. How would they know that why he, he sold the... He didn't sell it. Whatever. He made he it have. I'm sure he announced it. He said, "I'm, yeah. I'm sure." Why wouldn't he announce it? I'm, I'm sure he told. I'm sure he told people not to yeah, do it. Okay. I think. I think that's the next step he took. He probably told them, yeah. "No, my case was different." But since I should have been more careful and been more pious, I'm now disowning my field. Okay. But uh, again, this is not. Himself. It's not a halacha. Again, but first, now obviously you want it. That's why we've uh, said. I don't know if we've said it, we're going to say whatever. I've seen it in Aloha. Uh, yes, that's going to be the next. Okay, that's going to be the next Kamar. Therefore, you should do some things clandestinely, even though it's permitted. Sometimes don't do it because people could misinterpret, and that's coming up in the next sugya as we start the next Mishnah. He was held to a higher standard than anybody. He so why didn't he think about that before? That. It's, it's called being human. And you learn from experience. He knew what the Allah is. You know, again, he probably, he doesn't look what other people are doing in, other, in their lives. A real tzaddik, you know, doesn't look, isn't nosy. Okay? All he knows is I have a field, I deal with my field. But other people have a tendency to see what other people are doing. Now, he we would never think that anybody would want to see what other people are doing because he doesn't do what other people are doing. So I'm doing my field. It never dawned on him that everybody's watching what he's doing and they're going to copy what he's doing. So now it became revealed to him. He, the next year, he's saying, hey, why are all you guys doing this? And I said, well, you did it last year. What do you mean? I didn't write a reason. But that, at that point, so a lot of times, yeah, it'd be great to think what incorrect things people would think about what you were doing. But if you don't think that way about other people, how would you think that people would do that about you? So therefore, he never dawned that it would be a problem. Once it occurred to him, it could be a problem. So he did already tshuva. And the tshuva was that he must um, mafker his field. Okay. Now, now we're going to talk about other things. To avoid financial loss. So, an cholamoid machnes adam peros of nitneganav. A person can bring his fruits into the house, which is a significant work, because of danger of thieves. Okay. Normally, you're not allowed to gather the fruits of your garden or orchard and bring them in the house during cholamoid. Although this doesn't involve any forbidden labor. It's not any one of the 39 forbidden uh, acts because it was ready, the fruits were picked already, it's just lying in the field, but it's a lot of exertion, a lot of schlepping, which is not allowed on Cholamoid. That's why, again, we don't move on Cholamoid. 
change apartments or houses because even if theoretically there's no malach, although now there would be, still that's a lot of exertion. Okay? Mm-hmm. However, if there exists a danger that these will abscond with the fruits, one is permitted to bring them in. Here, as in earlier missions, the rabbis permit one to perform uh, work on Cholomoy in order to avoid an impending loss. Now, Toslo seems to say bringing in the fruit does entail actual malacha, but they don't know what malacha it might be. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. So the Torah Yevon says maybe it's ma'amer. One of the 39 malachas is gathering things together. Be that as it may, financial loss, you're allowed to do it. What else can you do? Well, let's say you're soaking up flax in a, in a soaking pot. You can lift his flax out of the redding. Okay, that means it's soaking, so it will not be lost. But you got to take them out at the right time. You soak it in a pot to soften it, whatever. But if you do too long, the whole thing will break. So I, I guess his, he miscalculated. He had it in the pot. He figured it could go. Maybe it was an accident, whatever. But anyway... You can take it out to avoid a financial loss. Again, you shouldn't intentionally plan to put it in and have to take it out of Cholomoid, but it was obviously not that kind of scenario. Oh, but you shouldn't do it specifically knowing that that's how it's going to come out on Cholomoid. And if that, and if you did, the Kulan and all of these cases, what if you did schedule for the work on Cholomoid? Then, and then you did it at Cholomoyed, Yovedu, you lose the fruit of your labors. Okay? So therefore, um, it, it depends if, if you intended or not. So that becomes a new rule. You can't intend to do it for Cholomoyed. And if you do, and you, you benefited from it, that which you benefit must be lost. Okay. That is the Mishnah. So, again, it seems right now, well, people might misinterpret what you're doing. They're seeing you're bringing your fruits into the house. You're taking the stuff, the flax, out of those pots. So people can make a mistake. Comes to Gemara and say, Tana, it was taught in a brisa, and this is the locha. So you gotta do it in private so nobody sees you do this because other people won't know that you have that leniency and they will do it when there's no leniency. Case in point, Ravashi Havala Kishuri, Ravashi had some large heavy beams that could not be left outdoors. Maybe it's a rain forecast, whatever, they're gonna get spoiled. So what did he do? He brought them into his house on Cholomite in the daytime. Okay, he was allowed to do it. It was an impending loss. But daytime, people are going to see what you're doing in the daytime. So Amr Abaye Abaye said, didn't we learn in a price that just said, So you got to do it discreetly. In private, so no one's gonna know why are you doing it in the day. He came up with a very novel answer. Um, relay, what is more private? 
The privacy is obtained in the daytime as opposed to the nighttime. Why? Because if you do it at night, what do you have to also do? What? Have a light. Have lights. All right. Now remember, this is not you know, on Bathurst Street being done. This is done on a farm where there are no lights. Okay. It's nice and dark. So you're doing it at night, and now the neighbors, what's all that light doing over there? Okay. So, Kevin, the Balalia boy, got me say, first of all, at night, you need additional men. You can't have a sane amount. Upa, Meduchredinura, and torches of fire are needed. So it's a whole event. So Av Shamil said, cause all commotion. And therefore, it's no more private in the day. Okay. Now, interesting. So Rashi seems to say, it's the same. There's no way out, so might as well do it in the day. The Miri says, there will be greater publicity by night because of all the commotion that happens. We learn from this incident that privacy is not essential to the permit to work. If it cannot be obtained, one does his best and performs the task anyway. Uh, Ramban, quoted by Ritva, rules that the requirement of privacy does not apply to every case in which one works on Cholomoy to prevent impending loss. Only when danger threatens from without, like thieves, must one perform the task in private. A task to prevent intrinsic loss to the item in question, like spoilage in crops, can be performed publicly. In the case of external danger, let's say the Ganovim, no one could know why you're doing it. They don't know, there's not a Ganov right at your house. He says, well, why is the guy doing this, right? <coughs> Since he may erroneously conclude that such work is generally permissible, we perform it in private. But in the case of intrinsic danger, one's reasons for working are obvious to all, therefore privacy is not required. That's what one shot in the Ramban is. Others understand Ramban differently as distinguishing between possible loss and definite loss. The first one, possible loss, requires privacy. The second one does not. However, the dark emotion, meaning the Ramah, rules that in all cases of work performed to save one's property, one must perform the work in private. If it's not feasible, one may perform it publicly, and that is the general halacha. If you can do it, you're allowed to do it. If you can do it in private, you should do it in private, but if you can't, then you don't have to do it in private. Okay, that was one case. Now the next case of the Mishnah that said, he can lift his flax up from the reading. And in all these cases, if you deliberately schedule them, you lose the profits. So now, boy, mine, Rebbe asked a question from Rebbe Fascinating idea. So let's remember now. If you schedule it for Cholamoid, and you work it, you cannot benefit from that. Now, fascinating Shiloh. What if the guy did? He did intentionally do it, and he did the work and then he dropped it the next day. Now, the, what's going to be the question? Because he did it, he died. What? Ah, the estate. That's a, that's a lawyer. The estate benefits from it. The children. Now, do the children have to not? Are they not allowed to benefit from it? Mm-hmm. They, they didn't schedule. Well, they're all. Well, <laughs> so they are because, uh, because in judgment 
So here's the question. How do we view the penalty? Obviously it's a penalty. Yeah. Right? If you work on it, yeah. you can't benefit from it. So now the So yeah. So now what would be the two sides of the coin to say if yes or no to penalize the inheritors? What would be the two sides? It has to be two sides. Well there's no question. So what would what would be your gut reaction? Have mercy, don't do it because they just left it. Well, the children didn't do it. <laughs> they didn't do it. So, is there a reason? Oh, ah, but now, but maybe. So, is the is the fine? Is the focus of the fine on the material, or is the focus on the fine the person who violated? Is it a judgment on the person? Or is it a judgment on the item? But the fine oh, the can't be both. Be you don't person. need both. But no, it if it's on the item, then it's going to be prohibited to everybody. Yeah. But the person if it's on the person, then it's only prohibited on the person. But in other words, his children are likely to copy his That's the question. What's the law of penalizing the survival children? Does it affect only the father or even the sons? So this follows Rashi, who understands it to be referring to the benefit gained by one who actually performed the schedule work on Kolomoy. However, it must be noted that this identical inquiry is stated in Meseches Gittin and Bechoros, both places clearly referring to the one who scheduled his work for Kolomoy, but did not perform it then since he died before the arrival of the festival. Thus, the inquiry does not concern whether the son is permitted to keep the listed benefits, for there were no benefits. Rather, it's concerned where the son might perform the work on Cholmoid so as to prevent the, prevent the impending loss. Two different ways of learning the Shila. Two different ways of learning. Did he do the work already? Or he set it up? And now if you don't take it out, there's going to be a financial loss. It's the same, it gets to the same point. This is in fact how Tos explained the inquiry in Agra here. Rashi though doesn't. Okay, either way, there's a finance, do we either say it was done already and now they can't benefit it or it was set up already and now if we don't do anything, they'll lose out. Either way, the question is, do we penalize the children or not? So now, we have, to, we have to look at other cases in Shas where a father was not allowed to do something. And that's what is alluded to over here. There's two other cases where you're not allowed to benefit. And there's Shilas over there too. So now, for example, this is the next case. And we start with an Im Tim Tzolomer. Okay. So you see there's other instances where the rabbis, uh, the father's penalties go to the children, okay? And there, there is no question, which is, in Team Solomon, if even, even if you fit to say, and here is the next situation on the top of Yud Gimel and Aleph, we know if you have an animal that's a Bahor, a firstborn animal, who gets the firstborn animal? The coin. That goes coin, right? Now, what if it has a blemish? doesn't go to the coin. Now, what if the guy purposely puts a blemish in it? Ooh. Ah. So now, 
Tsaram Ozen Bahor, a person who nicked the ear of a firstborn animal and then he died. And there, what was the Lacha? With no Shaila. Kansubanavakrov. They did penalize the children afterwards, and they can't benefit from it. So even if you're gonna to wanna to say, okay, so what's the Shaila here? We see when you did one thing, we punished the father, we punished the kids too. So what's the Shaila over Khalamai? Say, no, no, that's a different case. Why would it be different? Because what's the level of sin the father did over there? When you blemish the Bechor, you transgressed a biblical commandment. You have to give it to the Kohen, and uh, etc., etc. Now, if it developed a blemish, okay, you can't bring it, but it becomes the full property of the Kohen. However, it's forbidden for a Kohen. Let's say it's a Kohen who deliberately blemished the animal. Why would you do that? Oh, so he doesn't have to give it to the Beis Amigash. Again, if you have a, I'm going to explain better. If you have a firstborn, it, the Kohen gets it, but it doesn't get it really. He has to bring it to the altar, and he can eat the meat. If it has a blemish, then it's full property of the Kohen. He doesn't have to bring this an offering. So he gets more benefits. So, so now the coin could have a Yetzirah to blemish the animal so he gets the full... Do that. But, but if he has a blemish, you cannot give it to the coin. All right. What? If the animal has a blemish, you cannot give it to the coin also. No, no. no, 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 no but it was, we're saying the following. It was without a blemish. After they developed a blemish. And now the Kohen did not want to share, so he put a blemish in it. The Kohen did. Yes. So now, it doesn't help if the Jew puts a blemish on it because it still goes to the coin regardless. So he doesn't get but the coin. So now, but he can't deliberately cause a blemish. Yeah. And if he does, he's penalized. Okay? And there, Ibukhar says, what if the father died? Okay, and they say, the son cannot use it. Ah, right. oh, so what What was our Shaila here? Achalamoid. Gomorrah says, no, 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 it's still a Shaila here. Because over there, it was a biblical commandment. It's a biblical transgression to put a blemish on the animal. Okay, okay? here it is. The prohibition of blemish of Bechor, since it's of biblical origin, is more stringent than the prohibition to schedule work of Cholomite, which is merely rabbinic in nature. The whole idea of working a Cholomite is rabbinic. The rabbis would have to decide what's not in the spirit of Cholomite. So perhaps then the penalty against one of trust is not extended. Different it was a biblical transgression, rabbinic transgression. And how about the other case where also the f- children are penalized? Vim Team Solomon, even if you want to say, you're not allowed to sell a slave to an idolater. You're not allowed to sell it. So let's say the father did. And now the children die. Now the father died. The penalty goes to the children. We penalize the children afterwards. And that's also not a proof. Why? Because when, when you sell a Canaanite slave, Canaanite slave is obliged and all mitzvahs women are obliged. You're not allowed to sell a Canaanite slave to a goy. Because the goy will make him transgress every avera. Yeah. So therefore, but what's worse, what's worse is every day the Canaanite slave is sold, he can't perform mitzvahs. 
okay, right. which is not a good thing. By rabbinic law, one is forbidden to sell one's candidate slave to an idolater, lest his idolater master prevent for a missus. The rabbis backed up this law with a two-pronged penalty. The required one who sells his, they required him to sell, to spend up to 100 times the slave's value to redeem him. Okay? And they abrogated his ownership of the slave. Those slave escapes from the idolater, the Jewish master may not compel the slave to work for him. Without the decree, the mere fact of the slave's sale to the dollar would not have abrogated the Jewish ownership. For the laws an elder cannot can only own a slave's work, but not the slave. Anyway, so what did they do? He sold him. Okay, so the Gemara there is unsure whether Rabbi's penalty extends also to the seller's heir, in which case his ownership of the escaped slave is abrogated, or whether or not. Okay, but over there, even though it's rabbinic, but every day there's a bad situation. So Hachamai, what's the case over here? Okay, and this is the Shiloh. Gavra Kanis Rabbanan, the rabbis penalize the person for whole lesson. He's not here anymore. Odil Mamamona Kanis Rabbanan. It was the monetary focus was the penalty for Haisha and the surviving children there. The answer will be tomorrow. Eight o'clock.